welcome to episode six of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that is free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find all the work that they're doing at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with Caprice James, a social entrepreneur, humanitarian, founder and CEO, women and girls advocate, best-selling author, and an international leader. Mrs. James has served her community volunteering and working in the nonprofit sector for over 30 years. She started two non-governmental organizations in Liberia, West Africa, and has assisted many other nonprofits while building their programs nationally and internationally. Mrs. James has a master's in public administration with a specialty in nonprofit management and leadership. She is also a proud HBCU graduate of Savannah State University with a BS in political science. You can see much more of Caprice's bio in the show notes to see all of the amazing things she's doing. So let's get into my conversation with Caprice and come back afterwards to talk about a couple of the key points. So for you as a military spouse, social entrepreneur, CEO, best-selling author, recognized leader, and advocacy for women and girls around the globe, uh, I get the sense that like me, you have a hard time saying no when people ask for help. Yeah, I, I will say that over the last 15, 20 years, yeah, if it was something that was in the realm that I could handle, I definitely had a hard time saying no. People always try to narrow you down to one specific area. And being a military spouse and being an advocate for women and girls, I'm like, I cannot narrow down to one because they all interlate somehow. So I have my three specific areas, and that's women and girls, military spouses and families, and then just the international space. So it is definitely hard to say no sometimes. I'm getting better at it, though. I mean, and I think that can be challenging, but there's so much work to be done. As you say, there's a lot of different opportunities. And so really to start off with your work for your support for military spouses and families, you're part of PsychArmor's Military Spouse and Family Employment Working Group. As a military spouse, my wife and I were married approaching 22 years now, but she was with me for four out of my five deployments. And being a military spouse, we understand the difficulty. Why is that a passion of yours? Like you said, being a military spouse and having to go through all the changes as a spouse, and, and particularly if you are a career spouse, some of our, our spouses range in ages, but the, as you get older or if you've married your service member after college, your focus is career. Like you went to college to have a career and it's quite challenging to have that career when you leave college, married an active duty service member, and then you're on the government's dime of where they want to send you. And, and you have to identify, do I want to sacrifice time with my spouse in marriage or do I want to sacrifice my career? And so I would say for me, the last 15 years, I have been pretty successful in my career space at every duty station only because I, I stayed really active in 
the local community and the military community. But not all military spouses have that same sense. And sometimes they're lost or sometimes they don't feel that their volunteer work will translate into that career for them. So for me, with coaching and mentoring spouses, it's about making sure they do strategic volunteering. And that's not something we talk a lot about all the time. We have so many unique skills. When an employer looks at our resume and they go, oh my gosh, you work in all these fields. Well, you need to understand the background of why I worked in so many areas, but also understand that I'm going to be dedicated and committed to your organization or business. And there are no others like military spouses. Because the fact that we move, we have more skills than the average civilian. And and so I've learned how to utilize that to my advantage. And so I think the more that we can empower our spouses and empower the employers, then it's a win-win for, for everyone. And I think that's a mindset shift. Obviously, for military spouses or people in general, we see this for service members when they leave the military. A mentor of mine says, for many people, there's a shape or a place for them in the world. I go to law school and there's a law school shaped hole for me to fall into. But military spouses have to create a place for themselves in the world. And that's what you're talking about is going out. There may not be a perfectly defined shape for them when they get into a new community. They have to create a place for themselves. And sometimes they don't understand or even know they need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that people ask me, like my current location, we, we're in Southern Maryland, very rural area. I've been here for a year and people in the community forget that I've been here for a year because I am so plugged and, and they're like, oh, well, how did you? And I'm like, what? I'm a military spouse and I know how to network, you know, but I've realized that when I go into a community, I look and see what are the things that I can bring from my experiences from other communities, usually they're rural, and really help and implement those skills here. So yeah, as a military spouse, you really have to see, okay, where do I fit in and how can I help us grow? And where I'm currently located, there are four installations. And so this area is very heavily overlooked. And so that's one of the things I've been trying to work on lately is find our military families and find our military spouses, especially in this pandemic, because we don't live on installations and help them look at their skills and deploy them in the local community. And that's all about that being community connected, military families feel isolated. So how do we stop feeling isolated and how do we stop isolating ourselves from the local community? And that definitely sounds like advocacy and empowerment. And, and as I look at the scope of your work, that's really the bedrock of what you're doing is empowering those individuals who may not even realize that they need that empowerment. And that seems to be also the work that you're doing with Stella's Girls. Yeah, absolutely. Stella's Girls kind of was birthed out of our duty station in Japan. We were living in Okinawa and I had already been working internationally with a previous NGO that I helped start in West Africa. But I started seeing the similarities and I started seeing how military families and military spouses can use our experience to help and mold young women and girls in other countries. Because when you are a military family that's moving around and military spouses having that voice, we're in so many different sectors. When you go to another country and women don't have that opportunity, they're looking at you as, how can we do this? How can I be a wife or you know, be a husband, raise my children, have a career and still move around? Or how can I advocate for myself? Because 
if anybody knows military spouses, if you tell a spouse, hey, you can't do something, we're going to tell you, oh, yes, we can do it. And, and military spouses have that power to come together and advocate. And so working with Stella's girls, I've been able to really just implore and motivate a lot of young women and girls. And my ages keep fluctuating, but our focus is like the teens till 30, 40, just depending on the country. And so taking military spouses to use what they've had to do at each duty station has allowed me to really translate that into the work that I do for Stella's Girls. Now, that's interesting and something that that I hadn't considered. And maybe this is one of the beneficial things is taking our skills and applying it outside of what we typically do. Like we could understand that military spouses become a part of other military spouse group. And even your work in where you're located right now, that's sort of a natural fit of trying to draw out and support other military spouses, but then essentially being an ambassador and a role model that is in a, a totally different sector, but it fits. Yeah, absolutely. There is a saying, I think earlier this week, someone posted, so we, we just kicked off a STEM program. So I took from what I realized in the military space for our youth, of they weren't having the opportunities of programming implementing those programs where we were stationed, but also going back to where most military bases are in rural communities and where those youth don't have the um, access to those programs. And so it's okay. Military families, believe it or not, we have so many resources at our fingers that the normal community does not have. They don't have access to free mental health counselors just at the drop of the dime. They're not in the schools like they are for our military children. So taking those best practices, and even now I've been sharing that with our our elected officials, hey, you need to look at military models and what we do with our youth and families and deploy that into a regular community. So it it definitely has been a win. It, It definitely is a great experience. And Sometimes it's reminding our military family, we're only 1% of the population. It seems like it's a whole lot of us, but when you've been in the space for so long, everybody knows somebody that knows the other person, regardless of the branch. So how do we take what we have and put that into our local communities? And that is one thing that will help us bridge that isolation between military and community. Because I will tell you, I've never felt isolated. In any community I go into, me and my spouse, we never feel isolated. So we, it was like, okay, what can I do in the local Like I said, I've been here for a year and I'm an appointed commissioner. So being appointed commissioner for the Charles County Commission for Women and it's people like, how did you do that? I asked, I applied before we even got stationed here. I applied. So that that is, yeah, that's the empowering thing for myself, but also just to remind our military families, get out, use your skills. Like we have the ability to advocate and we just learn it. Just in the, in the military space. And I think, again, as you said, maybe when you're in the machine, you can't conceive of being outside the machine. But that's true is as the military and as our veteran community goes, so goes the nation. We are a small but geographically, ethnically, racially, religiously diverse group that we can actually drive a lot of policy, drive a lot of changes in our community if we were only to engage in our communities that way. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, last year and just the depth of the country, you know, and how we we look at how divided our country is. And it really made, I would say probably more military spouses really say, are we really 
diverse or are we not? And it is, we are. I tell people no matter what is going on, I feel like as a military community, we are very, very you know, diversified. We really are about inclusion. Yeah, you still may have your different groups that you hang out with. But as a whole, gosh, we enjoy each other like we're a family because we understand each other. And and our blood family doesn't understand it. No matter how many times you try to explain it to them, you get so frustrated and you can go to anybody. It doesn't matter who it is, you know, what their background is. You can go and say, okay, my family doesn't understand why I can't come to the family reunion. But the other military family is going to completely understand it. And so I think because of our similarities and because we're able to work together with many programs, I think that's why we can be a model for the rest of society and how it really works and how it works effectively. But we also we can't say that we don't have diversity issues because we do and we know that they exist. But it's how do we take being that one percent again, we're a small group. How do we take that and be a model for the rest of the community? Because we we definitely can be. Um, and so it's just like you said earlier, it's that mindset. We we have to change our mindset to oh, we're only going to look at us. So I I have made it a point that no, I'm not just a military spouse. Before I became a military spouse, I was a civil rights advocate in my community in my collegiate community. So taking okay, I'm a civil rights advocate and looking at military spouse. How, how do I merge those and how do I help shape where no matter where we're planted that I'm when I leave that community, at least I can say, OK, I help in a particular space, if not both the local community and the military spouse space. And to be able to present that model, not just as here's a picture on the shelf kind of model or here's something for you to look at, but it is a working model. This is something that we can come alongside our community. I think that's what a lot of veterans miss when they leave the military is the civic engagement. Military spouses, obviously focusing on those things that you were talking about, raising the children, engaged. The military spouses back is to the the fence of the installation sometimes just as much as the service members. But that civic engagement is what is going to drive change, both within the individual, empower them and make them stronger, but also the community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with with TAPS, that's where we look at it. When service members are going through TAPS, it's, and I think now they include more of how do we get more engaged in our local community? But what I will tell you too, I think when we talk about diversity to that, I think the Black and Brown community we're more immersed into the local community, usually because of our civic engagement organizations. So mm-hmm. I will say definitely for me why it's so simple is because I am a member of, of the largest African-American sorority, another large African-American business group. And then me and my husband both are members of the Masonic fraternity. So I have an immediate family when I go. And that's something that me and several military spouses and families have talked about. They're like, Caprice, how did you get so engaged regarding even going to Japan? My whole community was there, you know? And so I realized I'm like, that's where our military families have to learn. What is it that I want to do when I get out of the military? Especially if they joined and they were young. The majority of our military is made up of the enlisted families. So it's harder for them Whereas those of us that may be on the officer side or join later in life or later in career, we should have some type of community and not forget 
our community when we go into the military space. So it's a balance, but also we as the military community have to be more open, open our gates more. Working with Blue Star families two years ago, that was the one thing as I traveled state to state for, oh gosh, I've told someone 46 weeks, traveled state to state. And that was the biggest thing is how does the military, how do we engage more with our local community? Because it's not them isolating us. It's us isolating mm-hmm. ourselves. Right. And its gates are completely closed off, which I understand for security reasons. But also, how do we engage and allow more of the community organizations support the work that maybe some of our bases, they can't? So we definitely have to be more open. And that will also help more military families go, oh, okay. Because everybody knows the Red Cross. And the Red Cross is, you got service to armed forces, and then you have the chapter and blood donation space. But that is where we start bridging that gap. And you mentioned that a couple of times, that idea of bridging the gap. And the gap exists for a number of reasons, like you said, but we don't bridge the gap by getting the community to come all over on our side any more than we're going to bridge the gap by bringing the military out into the community entirely. It's going to take people like yourself stepping out into the gap. Number one, saying, hey, community, come over here and engage with us, but also turning around and saying, hey, military, come join out us here in the gap as well. And and I think that's really a mission of what Psych Armor does is trying to bridge that gap. And and so I'm interested, is that a natural extension of how you got involved in the advisory committees for military spouses and families? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I think because definitely what I ended up realizing with Psych Armor and and really knowing the CEO and having worked with her previously, it's our conversations led to, okay, what is the work that I'm doing in the local community? How does that translate into a military space? And how can the military space benefit the local community? And for me, and a lot with the work with Stella's Girls, I started realizing that foreign military governments. Their military is not like our military. I learned that real heavily, especially working for the division in Okinawa and the lot that we did with the Japanese defense. And every event that we hosted, I helped plan. Of course, there were never any military families with them. It was just the service member. And going back and forth to Liberia for the last eight years, the military spouses started reaching out because they started hearing about me across the country. And the same with Uganda. Uganda just randomly reached out to Stella's girls. When we started talking, I ended up finding out the person that reached out was one of the base CEO spouses. And so we, we just started looking at that work and looking at how can our work here in the U.S. help the work there? And bridging that gap and the resources that Psych Armor has, I'm like, you know what? I said, we can take your resources, not on a national base, but merging it into an international space because the work that they do and the topics that they bring up, they're not unique to the U.S., And the U.S. has so many resources. And it's the one question I get all the time. Caprice, why do you do work internationally? I'm like, because the U.S. has the resources, like the connecting and making sure we have access to them. But I go to countries where they have no resources, you know, and for me, it's how do I take our resources here and immerse them to communities that are going through the exact same thing we are with the lack of resources. So Psych Armor's courses, and particularly what we're looking at is the domestic violence and suicide prevention. It's, well, guess what? The military has all that research. We have all that research. So why can't we share that more with the local community? 
And so PsychArmor is allowing that through their courses to share those best practices with employers. And it's how do we translate that to the international space? And I think that's something that not a lot of people are familiar with. But those of us who serve are serving a military spouses, we likely have more in common with our foreign military counterparts than we do with our neighbors who haven't served. So that's really what you're talking about is a military spouse is a military spouse. I mean, you have the same stressors, the the deployments or or the long absences or, or, you know, countless parallels that it doesn't matter which armed service or country you're serving. And then to be able to say, well, the issues of the military spouses in Uganda and Liberia are the same as the, the military spouses here. So what works here can work over there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was in Uganda with those spouses in 2018 and just talking with them and going to their schools that, you know, that are on the base reminds me so much of the Dodea schools and their just sense of community and them having to rise up. And the questions were, how do military spouses in the U.S., how do you all continue your career or how do you continue that, that, that reintegration when they come home? Because we all know it's that cycle. And I started going, hmm. You know what? We have so many programs that we can share because the military had to learn it. We had to learn, okay, why are service members when they come back and the spouses leave them? Or why is this happening in the mental health space? Or why is domestic violence happening? How can we reintegrate the families for the service member to come back and realize that the family, yeah, we have to continue while you're deployed or while you're off at training. So it's how do we do that and how do we share that information? And it, I think I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Even in our service, folks like the firefighters and police officers, their families go through some of the exact same things. And I don't think they have a lot of the resources that we do. And and I guess I started seeing it with a lot of our fallen police officers. And I said, wow, they don't have these benefits we have and they're still serving. And so it, it really makes you think about how blessed military families really are. People sometimes make it seem like, oh, I want to start this. And I'm like, why? For the Marine Corps, we have 85 programs. We don't need- <laughs> That's what I tell people is when they come up with a new nonprofit is they do a quick Google search and make sure there's not seven like that. Um, yeah. But but I think what you're doing, it again, it exemplifies the fact of as the military, as veterans go, so go our nation, is we can use the resources and share that we, we have an abundance of resources within our community. Caprice, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. If people wanted to find out more about you, the work that you're doing, again, a quick Google search will show everything you're doing. But where's a good place for people to connect with you and find out more about what you're doing? I would say for Stella's Girls, you can go to our website, and that is just Stella's, S-T-E-L-A-S-G-I-R-L-S dot org. To find me, you can just put in capricejames.com. I I do have a a website of of my own now. I've really been helping a lot of military spouses and with their nonprofits. I'm a nonprofit consultant. But yeah, Stella's Girls or Caprice James, you will find something somewhere if you just Google it. We'll make sure that all those in the show notes. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Once again, we'd like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that is free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find all the work that they're doing at psycharmor.org.
Hearing the amazing work that Caprice is doing is encouraging. And one of the key things that stood out to me is that many times we fall into the trap of believing that there are limited resources when it comes to helping out. This can cause two different problems. First, if we think there are limited resources, but we still see a problem, we may be inclined to increase those resources. As Caprice said, when someone wants to start a new program, we have to ask ourselves why when there are already 15 programs out there that are doing what we think needs to be done. We see a stray dog running down the street and think to ourselves, I need to coordinate a neighborhood program to round up stray dogs. It's not because there are a limited number of dog catchers and we need more of them. It's because we need to reach out to the dog catchers that already exist in our community and use the resources we have more effectively. The other danger of believing the myth of limited resources is that if we share those resources, then there will be a smaller amount of resources left over. It's as if there is a finite amount of support available, when that directly contradicts the first problem of the myth of limited resources. What Caprice is doing is taking the things that we know work in the military and applying them to other areas, her local community, other service populations such as first responders, or military spouses in other countries. She's not giving away resources, somehow diminishing the resources that we have for military spouses and families. She is expanding them. There is an immense ocean of goodwill in the military-affiliated community, and sharing that goodwill with others does not diminish the amount that exists for the individuals within that community. Another point that I would like to make is the gap that exists between the military population and the non-military population. As we have now had an all-volunteer military for several generations, the distance between service members and their community has widened. The gap is so large now that it's obvious. When the gap was small, it wasn't noticeable, but it's grown to the size that it has where people are recognizing that it's a problem. As I mentioned in my conversation, the solution is not for the military to force the non-military to come over to their side of the gap, nor is it for the community to force the military to be more like them. As with any two groups with wide differences, it takes people willing to step out into the gap on both sides. It takes people like Caprice who is willing and able to use her expertise and experience in the military community and share them outside of that close-knit lifestyle. That does two things. It shows others in the military community that they have the ability to do so as well and join Caprice in the Gap. It also shows the non-military community how the military-affiliated community can make a positive impact, not just economically, which is usually how the military community is seen, but also socially and culturally. Following Caprice's lead, and being locally or even internationally engaged is going to go a long way towards reducing that gap. I'd like to share the Psych Armor resource for this week, the Psych Armor course, 15 Reasons to Hire a Military Spouse. Caprice is the host for the training, so if you appreciated her conversation today, you'll appreciate this course. Employers are always looking for untapped talent pools. They stress their recruitment efforts in every direction to find the best players for their team. One talent pool that can be overlooked is the diverse and highly educated group of military spouses. From a wealth of volunteer training experience to flexibility and resiliency, employers will find a rich and valuable pool of talent that will serve their organization with passion and loyalty. You can find a link to the training in the show notes. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM06, as well as on the Psycharmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. 
I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. Make sure to keep listening after the end of the episode to check out the entire song. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.
to a small man 